0: Thanks, Pax team. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good. Great to be with you guys. If you will, grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue in our Walking in the Spirit series. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Um, Man, good to be reminded uh, that every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord. uh, And Today, a chance to look at a beautiful passage, uh, which I would guess a number of us are familiar, uh, and yet I think um, maybe we we struggle, I know I have in the past really struggled to see the reality of what this text communicates uh, for life in the spirit and and the gospel in total. Uh, Galatians chapter five, we're gonna be looking at verses 13 through 25. Galatians 5, 13 through 25. Um, Clay read a number a part of this last week going read read from 13 so we get the whole context here Uh, But but then really focusing on uh, 22 through 25. So this is Galatians chapter 5 verses beginning verse 13 says this For you were called to freedom brothers Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh But through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's uh, a passage in in which you're going to get some really unique descriptors of our relationship to the Spirit, ultimately, our participation with. The Christ life with with God, through Christ, by the Holy Spirit that indwells us. The Spirit of Christ that lives in us. Look at verse 16. You see walk by the Spirit. In 18, it's led by the Spirit. And then it closes in 25 with living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. And embedded in the midst of this is a picture of what it looks like to live... To live, to live in, to live by, to keep in step with, to walk in the very Spirit of God. And it's this list, this picture of fruit. These things that emerge in us as God cultivates us and makes us new by his Spirit continually. So uh, we're going to look at The fruit of the Spirit, and it is very intentional that we say fruit because linguistically that is how it is presented. It's given to us as the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. In the same way that, like like today, you will go to Walmart, you will not go to Walmart's. Walmart's is not a place, that place doesn't exist. All right, but Walmart is. But in one sense, I mean that to be funny. But in another sense, I I mean this in a very true way. These things, these these ethical characteristics that the that the Holy Spirit will will cultivate within us. These are not to be cherry picked, pun intended. Um, This these these are not things that we just grasp at and say, "I'm going to grab a little of this." I I can do the love piece. I can do the peace. Uh, portion, not going not gonna to pick up patience. I don't want that one. Self-control doesn't seem like a lot of fun, right? It, this, is not, this is not the way this is to be approached. Rather, instead, these, these ethical characteristics are all part of the fruit that emerges as we walk with God by His Spirit. Uh, we're going to look at, at each uh, of, the, of these different characteristics that compose, in total, the fruit. Um, and, and the way Paul has written this, as he writes this letter to the church, see, you and I read things just in a, in a very linear fashion. So we read all nine of those things separated by commas in the Bibles that are before us or on the screen. But the reality is, is that Paul presents this when he writes this letter to this church, he gave it to them in three distinct triads of sorts. So I want you to kind of picture in your mind this way, that, that he puts love, joy, and peace together. He puts patience, kindness, goodness together together. And then he, in the last portion, he's going to put faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all together. There's some distinct reasoning uh, for this. Here's what, here's what a couple of guys who are a lot smarter than me would say. Uh, look, the, the, the first three, that love, joy, and peace really reflect the, the mind of the Christian, the state of the Christian or the attitude that we have towards God. Whereas that second triad of patience, kindness, goodness, this is in many ways the way that we interact with, the way that we are, are called to live with our neighbor, to live with people in the world. It's how we exist with others. And then the final three, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, really should reflect who we are, what the Spirit has done in us personally. This is what the life of a Christian is characterized by internally, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to start naturally with love. Why love? Why love at the beginning? Why, why, would, why would Paul write in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love? Why is that? It's because love is the foundation of all things. Here's why. It's the posture, it's the emotion, it's the action of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit toward all of humanity. Love is the catalyst of creation by God the Father. We'll talk more about that in a moment. It's the means of redemption through Jesus Christ the Son, and it's the promise of restoration and reconciliation by the Spirit that lives inside of us. What does it mean that love would be the catalyst of creation? Dr. Timothy George says it in this way. He says, before love is the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer, before before love is this thing that that flows through us and that that identifies us, it's the underlying disposition and motivating force in election and creation, incarnation and atonement. All of of the life that we are given in Christ, from, from our very creation to experiencing God through the life of Jesus Christ, the resurrection life in which we live—all of this comes from love. Lewis says it this way: God who needs nothing, God needs absolutely nothing, and yet He loves into existence creatures like you and me that He might love us and perfect us. He Himself is love, the inventor of love. And then, and then Paul, I, I think, really, really, in a synthetic way, taking these these two thoughts, these big thoughts about love being the start of all things, love being the catalyst for creation, the means that, that we're redeemed, and the spirit that lives in us, that promise that he describes in Ephesians 1, that, that we're indwelled by the spirit. Galatians really, in one sense, if you're going to boil it down, I think to one verse, if you saw, said, hey Michael, you can, you can have one verse from the book of Galatians that that really encapsulates a lot of what Paul is trying to say in the midst of people like Clay spoke last week and and really taught well I thought that the the experience and the understanding that you got people that are living in in poor freedom licentiousness they're doing everything in the world they want to do or you got these people who are trying to earn God's favor and living in legalism and instead the spirit path is in the middle there's so many things to talk about in Galatians that Paul is trying to teach the church. But in, in Galatians chapter two and verse twenty, and you will recognize this. This is this is the foundation of all things. It's the foundation of the means by which he can say, "Don't don't live under the law to, to try to earn God's favor, and and don't don't go live a life a a, a life that's characterized by the Gentiles in many ways of living th- this deep." this deep life of, of pleasure and, and, and without any sort of self-control. Instead, live by the Spirit. How does that happen? Where does, where does that emerge from? What's the foundation of living by, walking by the Spirit? It's this. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he writes, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ, what? What? Lives in me. How does that look practically? By the Holy Spirit that lives in believers. He says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who does what? Loved me and gave himself for me. This is, this is the foundation of all things. The, the, the very first thing that's going to exemplify Christ to others that's going to that's emerge in our character is this recognition of love, that we have been loved by God. The next thing is joy consistently. We're going to find this in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, what the Christ life looks like is, is joy Paul calls us, calls us to, to rejoice in the Lord. In Philippians, we see him say, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice, constantly reminding believers that, that this is the posture of the Christian, that this is what the life looks like. How is that so? Um, joy shares the, this, this root, the, 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 the way Paul writes it and describes it, it shares the root of its word uh, with the same as, as it stands for the word for grace. So the reality is, is that these two things are deeply intertwined. So what is the life of joy? It's this. The life of joy is the expression of recognizing that we have been deeply loved by God through the gift of grace in unmerited favor that we didn't deserve. And now we exude this thing called joy. It's what the Christian life looks like. It's what we, we demonstrate. It's what we show. It's what we become. It's the heart attitude that, that, is, that is not concerned with circumstances, but the deep reality that God has loved us and given Himself for us in the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. That's what joy looks like. And the next, peace. Peace. And we look to, to, to the Hebrew word of shalom and, and really come at this with an understanding that, that peace is truly characterized by a condition of wholeness, of fullness, of being totally full of of well-being with God and our neighbor. That's what peace looks like. And Paul is constantly, the New Testament is constantly urging us to be at peace. Not not just, just, it'd be great if you could be at peace, but in Romans 15, he says, you make every effort for peace. You make every effort for peace because this is the demonstration to the world that you are at peace with God and can love and not just coexist, but minister to them. That peace is, is God's love having taken root and effect in your life that gives you this posture of joy. And because of that, now we get to live out the life of peace with those around us. This is not just the absence of war or the absence of strife or the absence of contentiousness. No, but it, but it's it's the foundational piece of being at peace with God through what Christ has done for us. Um, one of the things I think that, that's really interesting that Paul is doing here is when he, when he presents love, joy, and peace, this is for the early church. This was going to be a very familiar phrase. In the same way that you and I throughout our lives have likely recognized faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, it, it, that triad of love and joy and peace to early Christians would have been just as familiar. Here's the thing love is the foundation. It's, it's the beginning place where, where, where God does his work in and through us by his Spirit. He pours his love into our hearts. In, in Romans 5, we see through the Holy Spirit. And then joy builds upon it. Um, a brilliant theologian describes it in this way that, that, that love is the foundation, that joy is the structure. The posture, the life that, that, we, that we live and that we exemplify, the, the, the exuding of, of contentment because of our place. And then peace, the reflection of that well-being with God that now we can be well with the world. That that peace is the demonstration of that recognition of love and joy. All of these things we're going to see as we walk through these flow together. The next one is patience. God is long-suffering with rebellious creatures, and I know that because I am one, and so do you. You know it because that's who you are too. God is long-suffering with his rebellious creatures, the God who will not give up on Israel. In Hosea 11, we, we, we see him say, how can I give her up? Rhetorically, the reality is he's not going to. He's going to continue to pursue this is why we sing things like "Your goodness is running after me." That's the that's that's what the life uh, that, that we're called to live looks like because it emulates the God who has loved us, the God who is patient with us in grace and mercy. So we have we have four little girls, and so every day is easy. Um, look if if you're a parent or. You're a child from uh, uh, and who's lived uh, underneath the, the guidance and love and care of a parent. You recognize the need for patience. The need for patience. Uh, Mia I, I, is so much better at parenting than me and she knows it. But so I don't have to I'm not like trying to corporately affirm her. She knows but she she knows it. But here's the thing she she's taught me a lot, like especially with one of ours which will not be named uh I I have to get down I have to get down on her level and I have to talk to her. I have to get to a place where she can where she can see me at her eye level and hear me. And my back hurts. <laughs> Cuz I'm on my knee a lot. We're down there a lot. We're we're trying to talk things out and it's Love, don't do this, love, don't do this, don't do this. Just, baby, please don't do this. We can't buy another one of these, or this is the ninth one, but but, but can we please not do this? And what happens? She does it! But you know what we do? We get the opportunity to get a picture of the patience of our Father, our Heavenly Father with us. And it's so simple. I don't need to preach that to you in a sense that, hey, Michael, I've, I've heard this analogy before. You should be more creative. But it's this. Do you recognize that? Do you see God's patience with you, his long-suffering with you? Because then it moves, Paul writes, to kindness, that a component, a piece of the fruit is kindness. And here's what kindness is. And I think this is one of the most profound things Things that, that we at times maybe scripturally take for granted in the New Testament. Kindness is love through patience. Patience is the avenue, the, 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 the channel through which love is given to you and I. Because God has been patient with us. This is the scripture. This is, this is one, at least for me personally, one of the things that has been most resonant in my life. To, to keep me from living the life where I would, I would fall into the law, to think that I'll, if I do these things, I will earn God's favor, and yet I'm thrust back through this recognition of this text to what it means to truly and genuinely be loved and affected by God. This is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Paul writes to the church at Rome, and then he says this. This is incredibly profound. This is life-changing because it changed yours and mine. says this, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's his kindness that drew you and I to him. It's his kindness. What is Kindness. It's love. Well, of course it's love, but it's love through patience. It's this patient, enduring, long-suffering, committed, faithful love that has drawn us to Him that would cause us to repent. This type of kindness should be evident in the life of believers who walk by the Spirit. The next one is this, goodness. Goodness. Um, this This is only... Four times, this is, this is written and used in, in Pauline text in the New Testament, four times in Paul's writings did we see this word goodness. So it's not incredibly consistent throughout the New Testament, but, but it always carries the connotation of this, and it's this, it's benevolence. It's benevolence, and, and when you and I hear that word, we typically think financially. But it, but it means to be benevolent and, and out of a fullness, out of a peace and a wholeness with God so that we would give of our time, of our energies, of our heart, of all that we have, not just a physical representation of a resource, but, but all that we are, it's benevolence. And here's the thing, that's not something that you and I just decide to, to wake up and do one day. Now, I mean, I don't, I don't mean that, that we can't just give one day and give charitably and give in a benevolent way. We can do that. I know that it, at Christmas time, especially, like, you and I are the folks where, you know, we're scrambling to get out of the car at Walmarts, right, to, to get our change because the Salvation Army bucket folks are there, right, and we feel compelled, and that's a great thing. We ought to feel compelled and encouraged to, to give, We can do that seasonally with some effect. There's common good there, but from a specific sense, benevolence is something that is cultivated within us. This is not something that we just decide to do. It's something that by God's very spirit, he transforms us in that we would be people who don't live for ourselves, but we take not only our own interests account, but also the interest of others, and we give our very life to others. This is what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. Do our lives look like that? Let's move into the last triad here that Paul presents, and it's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For faithfulness, fidelity, being true, being trustworthy, being consistent, this is the mark of the God who has been long-suffering with us through love and His patience. Faithfulness is is the way that the life of the believer emulates the very character and depth of who God is. When you and I are faithful, when we are consistent in our love toward others, when we are not dependent upon their relation to us circumstantially, but instead we continually choose the path, the posture, the mode, the life of grace, of mercy, of consistency, It's evidence, it's fruit that we're walking with the Lord. Gentleness. Um, gentleness gets a bad rap because this is this is not weakness, this is strength under control. That's how Dr. George describes it. I think it's an incredibly helpful way to to help us understand what gentleness is. Now gentleness doesn't mean meekness without conviction. Instead, it means it means that we have conviction that we're deeply rooted and constantly aware of the power of Christ. And yet we wouldn't use it in an improper way to impose ourselves upon others. There are a ton of people I know that to some might look weak, but the reality is they are deeply strong because their faith rests in what Christ has done for them. And that characterizes them for me as the strongest people I know. Look, we did this thing uh, the last couple of nights where uh, we went to the rodeo uh, that was here in town. Um, anybody like rodeo? Look, I want to go on tour with these people. I want to follow them. I want to go every weekend uh, to rodeo because it's a blast. It was just a ton of fun. Um, here, here's, here's one of the unique things that I experienced at this rodeo over the course of Friday and Saturday night. It's fun because it's it was outdoors, and so these horses and cattle are just like among you. You're like kind of you know getting shaved ice or boiled peanuts, and there's a horse right there. It, it's that it's that kind of environment. So it was a ton of fun to be around these animals. And when it doesn't take you long until you're around one of those animals, and you recognize this is a incredibly strong creature, just muscles on top of muscles, just just these powerful creatures but you know when one's walking by me at the shaved ice stand I'm not like terribly worried about it he's calm he possesses the same strength in that demeanor as he does when I see him later and he's trying to buck a person off of him they did this thing this is just for fun okay so just like as an aside for fun they did this thing uh, called, what was it called? Uh, the calf scramble, calf scramble. Uh, so Paxton tries to get in on this on Friday night. This is amazing. So they, this is like kind of an intermission moment where they just let people in, like 18 and up, you can just hop in and the goal is to, it's kind of like, like to grab the ribbon or whatever off of this cow. But like, I, I saw this, this cow and you think a calf, right? So like my first, when they say calf scramble, I think of like Norman from City Slickers. That reference won't land here, but, but, but this is this is yeah. Go home and watch City Slickers. Good, it's good stuff. Um, I, I think, I think of Norman. I think of this like this tiny, small cattle, and this thing they put in there. My dude had horns. All right, and he form tackled a human, and that person that I saw get hit by this cow on Friday night is in that medical tent right now. If they haven't taken it down yet, um, that strength was not under control, it was on full display. But the gentleness is that the power of Jesus Christ rests in us by his spirit, and yet we exist in a world under control where even the right things that we do are so controlled that we won't do them in the wrong ways. That will love people and minister to them well we will trust christ to do the work we'll trust christ to be the one who will fight our battles that god will avenge for us instead of us imposing our will upon others and that leads into the final kind of component or aspect of what this fruit looks like in its self-control and it's simply this it's discipline uh, it's control over one's desires and passions. Paul's going to use this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 7 specifically to talk about sexuality, but then he goes in and pivots into 1 Corinthians 9 and talks about it with respect to athleticism, a, a boxer or a racer that would, that would act and live in an athletic demeanor under control. This appears as the last piece or component in the Spirit because what Paul is doing is helping communicate to his hearers, to you and I, that this is what the fully formed, the mature life of the believer that is indwelled by the Spirit appears as. It appears as people who are self-controlled. All of these things flow into one another. Love is the foundation that gives way to joy. Joy is the, the presence, the posture, the experience of having experienced this grace, the love of God that would lead us to the place where we recognize this deep peace that we have with God that he's given us. And now it becomes th- this thing that, that culminates in us showing it to the world. We, we get to demonstrate this peace with others as we show patience as we show gentleness, as we show kindness, as we show faithfulness, self-control, all of these things flow and work together. And if you're like me, you hear these things and you say, I want that life. How do I get that? How do, how do I get to the place where I have these things, where my life is characterized deeply by love and joy and peace and patience and all of these things that, that culminate in the fruit of the Spirit? I want to bear that fruit. I want to live that life. How do we get to that place? Well, What Paul says at the end of verse 23, I think probably seems unique to us, And yet it fits very well with these three triads, these nine components of the fruit of the Spirit. It says this uh, in 23, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. What does he mean there is no law? You look at this this work, this letter that Paul writes to the Galatian church. You turn back into chapter chapter 3 and verse 2 and you find something incredibly important. You want the fruit of the Spirit in your life? You want to walk with God in such a way, walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit in such a way that you experience that? This is what we have to remember. This is Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2, and it says this. Paul writes to them, he says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you receive the Spirit? Was it it the law? Was it the works of the law? Was it doing these things? Was it keeping these rules? Or was it by faith? And Piper says it this way. He says, The Spirit came to you through faith the very first time. Faith is truly the channel by which the Spirit flows into you Because of your union with Christ, we're indwelled, empowered by the Holy Spirit because we have been united with Christ in him. You and I as a believer, this isn't just something that we mentally assent to. This is what you got to understand. You and I are connected to Jesus Christ. If we've trusted in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within us, we are connected to Jesus through the resurrection life that has come by the power of the Spirit. That's what the the real implication of being God's child is. Not like we're good folks who try hard. No, God has changed you because he lives inside you through the spirit of his son Jesus. How did that happen? It happened through faith. We've been saved by what? By grace. Where did it come from? Through faith. That is the channel through which we experience the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, all of these aspects of what it means to experience and know and reveal and reflect God. Faith is the channel. You want to see your life radically changed? And, and reveal these things to others? Me too, me too. It comes by faith. I wanna to read to you, this, there's this guy, and, and this is probably like a number of you, things that you've read or things that you've heard or a song, things that just deeply impacted you in, in, a, in a radical way. And this is, there's this letter I'm going to read you an excerpt of here in a moment um, that God has used in, in a deep way to, to help, in different seasons of my life, remind me what faith is. To remind me what that life of faith looks like. Uh, there's this guy, his name is Hudson Taylor. <clears throat> he was a missionary to China. Uh, a number of you are probably familiar uh, with this story, but he writes a letter to his sister in England. This is October 17th of 1869. He's in China. He's writing a letter uh, to his sister in England, and he's describing the struggle that he's having in ministry. He's overseas. His goal is to minister the gospel, and yet he's seeing, and this is not a pun, this is serious, no fruit from it. He's seeing no fruit, and I want to read to you his words and do your best to listen closely. Some of the language is a little antiquated, it's a little older, but um, I'm this guy. I'm this guy that lived, you know, 150 years ago. I'm this guy. I struggle with the same thing that he struggles with, and I bet, I bet you do too. And I'm going to read you part of this letter, and I want you to listen to the Lord as he speaks to you, because I know he will. He writes to his sister, and he says this. My mind has been greatly exercised for the last six to eight months, feeling the need personally and for the mission here more holiness, more life, more power in our souls. But personal need, my own need for this stood the greatest. And he said, I felt the ingratitude, the danger, the sin of not living near to God. And I prayed and I agonized and I fasted and I strove and I made resolutions and I read the word more diligently and I sought more time to get away and for meditation. But all was without effect. Every day... Almost every hour, the consciousness of sin oppressed me. He says this, I knew, I knew that if I could only abide in Christ, all would be well. And he says this, but I could not. He says, I began the day with prayer, determined not to take my eye from him for a moment, but the pressure of duties of work, sometimes very trying, constant interruptions that apt to be so wearying often cause me to forget him. Does that sound like anybody you know? It sounds like you and it sounds like me. We wake up with this dream, with this goal, with this deep desire to follow and trust the Lord. and. I don't know. I got like the sweetest commute in the world because I live in this neighborhood, so I can't really identify with the traffic thing maybe on some level, but look, we, we, we're like halfway to work, and what have we done? We've been distracted. We, we've been confronted by an issue, a problem, and effectually, we have forgotten him. He said, then one's nerves get so fretted in this climate, in this moment, that temptations to irritability, hard thoughts, and sometimes unkind words are all the more difficult to control. And he says this, each day brought its register of sin, of failure, of lack of power. Every day, consciously seeing his sin recognizing his failure, his lack of power. And he says this, to to will was present within me. He wants to follow the Lord. To will was indeed present within me, but how to perform I found not. Then he says this, but how to get faith strengthened, not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one by resting on the faithful not he says i read it and i saw it all if we believe not he's faithful i looked to jesus and saw that he said i will never leave you that is rest he says i've striven to in vain to rest in him i'll strive no more for he's not promised to or for he has promised to abide with me never to leave me and never to fail me guys i don't want to admit it but i am a striver constantly striving it's it's so easy for me to go to this place where i say lord what what do i need to do to to please you to experience and know that i'm loved by you i don't want to say this out loud this is terrible i don't want to say that to you but that's the reality i think it's your reality too But it's, it's not the law, the keeping of the law, that will give us life instead. It's this. It's rest in the one who has fulfilled the law and the prophets. It's rest in the one who has redeemed us. That, that conscious uh, or, or the every hour consciousness of sin that oppressed him, that oppresses you, that quite frankly oppresses me on a ton of days, the reality is that was crucified on Calvary. And I've been crucified with him, as have you if you've trusted him. So that I, I, don't, I don't live in this body. I, I live by faith. Because he's loved me and given himself for me. So I get to rest in the life, death, and resurrection of what Jesus Christ has done. I want to close with, with, with this portion that he says. Because in talking about the fruit of the Spirit, naturally Paul is using, using botany. He's using plants and flowers and agrarian words to communicate this deep truth to us. And this is going to reflect, we're going to see in a minute, a a passage that Jesus uses to teach us this deep truth. This is what Hudson Taylor closes with. He says, I thought of the vine and the branches and what light the Spirit poured directly into my soul. How great seemed my mistake of wishing to get the fullness out of him. I saw not only that Jesus would never leave me, but that I was a member of his body of his flesh and bones, the vine now I see is not the root merely, but all. It's root, its stems, branches, twigs, leaves, flowers, fruit. And Jesus is not only that, he is soil and sunshine, air and showers 10,000 times more than we have ever dreamed, wished for, or needed. I wanna tell you about plants, here's what plants are. Cells, millions and millions of tiny little, little compartments that are stuck together like Legos. And when they have the right balance, these cells that exist within plants, when they have the right balance of water and air and sunlight and nutrients, their cells grow and divide, and the whole plant gets bigger and bigger, and that's how plants grow. You're like, why are you telling me about this? One, I want to I use the example that I, I know where you were this day last year, and you were out making your yard beautiful. I know this. but for, for a number of you, this is what your life looked like last year. It's what mine looked like. I just wanted to go to Home Depot every day. It was the only place that I could go to, or Lowe's, or whatever, so I don't mean to be contentious with that. Pick your poison. Um, but but I, I wanted to go. I wanted to experience life. And, and that led to us spending a lot of time, we spent, I mean, just hours planting things in the yard. Do you know, do you know how plants grow? I mean, you, you give them an environment, you give them, you give them soil. Right? You, you you water them, but ultimately, how do plants grow? It's unreal. This this photosynthesis thing is nuts. It's wild. It just like you plant it and then it just grows. It grows. This is the life of the spirit. We avail ourselves to the rest in Jesus Christ we have through faith. We give ourselves to God. We entrust our lives to him by faith. This is the avenue. This is the channel. This is the stream. Not by works that we would do or some sort of like ridiculous freedoms that would cause us to hurt and abuse ourselves. But instead, we would avail ourselves to him. We would surrender our lives by faith. We would trust God. And in the midst of this, God causes the growth. Paul uses this analogy with faith. He says, look, it doesn't matter if you follow me, me, you follow Apollos. The reality is, is that one of us is gonna plant, one of us is gonna water, but God is the one that is going to cause the growth. So if you and I wanna grow, if we wanna walk by the Spirit, if we wanna live in the Spirit, if we want this fruit to be manifest in our life, what do we do? How do we do that? Jesus tells us, this is John 15, verses four and five. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is what, this is what the life that is radically transformed looks like. <laughs> It's one that's connected to Jesus. And here's the hope. Here's the hope for you and I is that this doesn't rest. For Hudson Taylor, his struggle, my struggle, what I would, what I would believe would be yours in some way on some level too is that how do I, I gotta get faith to get there. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta do this. This is on my shoulders. This rests on me. What's my responsibility? What do I have to do? Here's what you gotta do. Believe. Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel today like it's the first time you ever heard it. Believe the gospel today with your whole heart. And do it tomorrow too. As God continually saves us. Yes, he, if we've trusted in Christ at a point in time, we, we've been redeemed. But I don't stop believing there and now start doing all these things and think that, that this is the way to earn God's favor. How do we receive the Spirit? We do not receive it by works of the law. We received it by faith. So if you and I want to be people who experience the life of the Spirit, we want to walk by the Spirit, we want to live by the Spirit, we want to be characterized as people who, who truly reflect what God has done in our life, then we bear fruit. And it's by faith that we engage the Lord and experience this. So as our worship team comes and, and we, we prepare to close this morning and really focus on what it means to abide, this moment is an opportunity for that. This, this moment where we're drawn into worship is an opportunity to rest before the Lord and abide. We're gonna continually do this. Look, I'm thankful that I get to be on this journey of seeking to abide with the Lord in deeper ways with you that we get to do this together. What does tomorrow look like for you? What does the rest of the day look like for you? Are we going to be people that, that so deeply pursue the Lord in heart that we reflect this peace, this peace that just exudes from us because we are at peace with God through what Christ has done, and now we can be at peace with others. That we're demonstrating a life of joy that has come to us because of the fact that we recognize that that we didn't deserve it on any level, that we've always been lawless, we've always been breakers of the law. We recognize that God created us for a relationship with himself, and yet, yet we couldn't live up to that. And so he gives his son Jesus Christ that in his life and death and resurrection that we can have a relationship with God through him and what he's done and his grace by faith as the spirit comes into us, regenerates us, transforms our lives. That's the gospel. You know what it looks like to go live out the gospel? Today, tomorrow, go be with Jesus. Go abide with him. Find that place of rest and learn from your friend and mine, Hudson, how these passages work together. That this is the reality. You go find a place. You seek to intentionally pursue the Lord. You recognize that the Spirit is the very person of God who is at work in you that enables you to live. You go find that place, that time. And then when you're there, you don't strive to go get what you already have and you've been given in Jesus. The rest... This says, I've fulfilled the law and the prophets for you. I have made you my own. You are deeply loved. Now Go live in that joy. Be at peace with the world. Show people the patience, the kindness, the goodness that I've given you. We can walk by the Spirit if we will only abide. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We confess that your Son, Jesus, is the vine uh, and we are the branches. God, would you cause us to remain in you through your Son? God, would we we be people that are characterized by fidelity and faithfulness? God, by the way that we're self-controlled, by the way that, that we're gentle with others? God, by the way, that, that people would see our goodness that's not from us, that's from you. Would you cause us to be these people in our homes, with our families, with our friends, in our workplaces? God, and, w- and would you bear out this fruit because we've truly experienced you through your spirit as we've to commune with you? As we wholeheartedly devote our lives to you in prayer, Father, and allowing the Word to minister this to us so that we can again and again and again be refreshed through faith. God, would you cause us to be a people that demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, that you might be glorified and that people would come to know you. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.